This is Crime Connections, and we're your hosts. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jackie. And today we wanted to tell you the story of Jeremy Simcoe. This is actually a case brought to us by our giveaway winner, so let's get into it. On November 18th in 2009, the Simcoe family would be changed forever. The seemingly perfect couple, Julene and Jeremy Simcoe, living what looked like the simple life in Vermilion, Ohio, running their own farm, would quickly turn out to be a facade that no one saw coming. In the early morning hours around 6 a.m. on November 18th, police received a phone call from a hysterical woman saying an intruder broke into her and her husband's house, and she woke up to a loud noise, which she thought was her husband shooting a coyote out of the window, and from everything that I I have learned about this case the reason she was not in the room was because he was a loud snorer and she couldn't get any sleep at that time so she went to a different room and the loud noise was what she thought was her husband shooting a coyote from the window a lot of people that live on farms and in Ohio coyotes are really bad and they can ruin your crops and things like that or attack your livestock eat your animal your dog your cat yeah so that wasn't abnormal and i guess that's something that has happened before but as she goes upstairs to check out what is going on she realizes that her husband is bleeding and she now thinks the intruder is still in the house because she heard a noise so she shot two warning shots into the hallway from a handgun kept in the nightstand to scare off the person that was potentially still in the house police immediately came to the simcoe residence all doors in the house were locked and there was only two people in the house, Julene and the deceased Jeremy Simcoe. As officers combed through the home trying to find any leads of the potential intruder or anything that they may have left behind, they started noticing more and more details. Like the Simcoes had very heavy security on the home, alarms on all the doors, windows, and even the garage door, surveillance systems, many weapons including gun safes, and they also had four dogs. According to the Oxygen article on the Simcoe murder, which they also made an episode on Snapped about this case, police found a 357 Magnum revolver in the kitchen, and upstairs they found two bullet holes and another gun, a 9mm Smith & Weston in their bedroom, which would explain the shots in the hallway because she was trying to warn off the intruder. With the gun upstairs, she claims she got it out for protection because she, at that time, still believed that that person was in the house and she thought it would scare them off if she knew she was armed. And when asked for a plausible motive for the break-in, she claimed that the barn that they had on the property was previously robbed and they were thinking that maybe these people came back to rob them again. Julene was never arrested, and from the house she was transported to the hospital, and then she was questioned when she calm enough to talk. When she was released from questioning, the following morning she calls police to report that again the house was robbed, and upon arrival authorities saw that the safe that they had under the stairwell was tampered with, and Julene claimed that there was $2,000 missing, and the surveillance system was taken, and again Mm. police were unable to track down any leads. That's suspicious. I know. Seven days later, on November 25th, Julene held an informational meeting. I'm not exactly sure what this means. I've seen it in multiple articles on the case, but it might have been for either maybe her to gather information, maybe friends, family, or even the public. She invited a police officer, and that night she told him she wanted to confide in him about what really happened, and then her attorney put a stop to it immediately. Oh, my. (laughs) Yeah. So... I'm not exactly sure what the informational meeting was. It might have just been something where a lot of people came and they, 
gave yeah. their condolences and things like that. It might have been like a town meeting type thing to get quote-unquote information. Yeah, that's what I was thinking myself, but I couldn't ever track down the exact answer. So in that same Oxygen article, they claimed that it was very weird she had representation and an attorney in general, but to be completely honest, if you were a truly innocent person, sometimes you do get in trouble for things that you didn't do and who knows if she didn't already have like a family lawyer like Mm -hmm. i know certain families my family we have one so in the event something ever happens like a car accident or anything you just like call that person up and you're like hey this is what's going on so she might have just called her attorney and been like hey this happened and he's like okay well don't say anything more than you have to xyz yeah well and you also have to think how many times do the significant others, like, how many times are they looked at? Every single time if someone dies, their significant other is now the main suspect. Yeah, so if she was thinking, well, it does look suspicious, I should get a lawyer. So then maybe she's safe? I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. So they kind of all pointed fingers at her for that, but I really don't think that that is anything that is suspicious at this point. Yeah. But then... The coroner report comes in, and the coroner states that whoever killed Jeremy Simcoe had to have been so close in contact, meaning they were either laying in bed next to him or nearly on top of him. Oh, my God. Because he was shot in the back of the head, and it was a fatal gunshot wound. It was only one. Mm. So, this is where I start asking questions. You're very high security focused. You have a security system. You have alarms on every door, window, and four dogs. Okay, they get past the dogs. All right, whatever. Maybe they're maybe they knew the dogs. Yeah. Now you get to the garage or windows or doors and you come in. Well, there's an alarm system to that. So how are you getting past that? Because that's going to wake up Mr. and Mrs. Simcoe. And then you want to say all of that plus a system that records stuff. Yeah, there would be evidence if someone had broken in, period. Yep. And when the police arrived, every door and window and the garage door were shut. So they didn't magically get in there. They didn't magically get in. Either they were so close to the family that they had all the information to enter those things and they knew the family well enough to know how to get past those dogs or it was someone that already lived there. Yeah, the first scenario, doubtful. Yep. And then the next damning thing that comes back is there's no other DNA or fingerprints anywhere in the home other than the couples, including on the firearm that took Mr. Simcoe's life. And there was only one bullet missing from that gun as well. And that was sitting on the kitchen. It it was sitting in the kitchen when the uh, police arrived. Okay, so the perpetrator slash murderer came in trying to rob you, finds a gun, your gun, shoots him, and then leaves it on the table or in the kitchen. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So I do have some background information, and I would like to say this now, that if you have little kids, earmuff them. It is potentially a trigger warning for anyone that has had sexual abuse or potentially anyone listening with little ones in the car. I don't want you listening to this if they are very knowledgeable or impressionable. Yeah. So... Julene was raped when she was younger by her father, and he actually went to prison for this crime. So that was one of her first sexual experiences, was her dad raping her. What I'm sure is upsetting to many of the friends and family of Julene and Jeremy was that after everything that just happened that we told you about, their sex life became like public front page news. Everyone talked about it, and it was something that was very sensational for this little tiny town. Which is ridiculous. Because yes. I don't think that would have added anything to it. 
No. The investigation. I don't think that it really adds much to the investigation, but I, it is something that they could have, like, you know, talked a little bit about, but they hyper-focused this in the news outlets and things like that, and it's one of the first things you do find when you look up this case, and I think it might be because it was a little taboo for 2009, and here's why. So in many articles I've read and clips that I've watched about this specific case is that Julian and Jeremy had a BDSM relationship, which if you don't know what BDSM is, it's bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, sadochism and masochism. They would take photos and videos of each other performing certain sexual acts on one another, and in the videos they would role play, and Jeremy was Julian's father and Julian was his daughter. They would perform sexual acts and play in these roles. Originally, detectives were concerned that this was not voluntary on Julene's part, but she has been very adamant that her husband never abused her and that she was a full and willing participant of these acts. But originally, the videos that the police were watching, they couldn't decipher if she was enjoying it or not because she was crying and she just did not seem like she was enjoying this. But if you look at the SM, S and M part of BDSM, it is indeed what the enjoyment comes from. You want to potentially be giving or receiving pain. So That's very disturbing. I I mean, they have literal dating apps for people that well, no, like BDSM. Not the BDSM situation. I'm talking about the fact that she was sexually assaulted by her father and now she's playing that. Well, and the thing out. that I kind of looked into a little bit, I didn't want to go fully into it because I'm not a psychiatrist or a therapist or anything like that, but a lot of times when someone has experienced sexual trauma, they revert back to that and they're like current sexual acts because mm -hmm. that's their first initial thing so it's not actually abnormal at all yeah no i i totally understand the like uh, the logic behind the logic it behind it but it's as a listener or someone that didn't know them I, I mean even i feel like it's worse knowing them because i feel like people might paint mr simcoe in a negative light mm -hmm. making him think like making him seem like he did something wrong when truly it might have been her wanting to do that because that's what got her off yeah and that's one of the things that, like, it makes me feel bad because anyone that knew Jeremy or Julene, whether you were on the convicted or victim side, it's still upsetting because it's like, okay, that's someone's daughter, that's someone's son, and that was their relationship that no one would have ever known about because mm -hmm. when you talk to people that knew them, even in articles online, and you'll find out later, the people that knew them, they seemed like nothing was wrong. Their relationship was picture perfect. They had a farm. They had what seemed like a very healthy relationship. You will also find out that the couple had a 14-page marital agreement, which turned out to be a slave master agreement. And there was like very specific rules and rituals that they had to follow when it came to the sexual acts. But it's never been mentioned who wrote that slave master agreement or who is a slave, who is the master. I mean... It could have been, I mean, a lot of people would assume that Mr. Simcoe was mm -hmm. the person in charge, but it could have been her, too. You never know. Oh, yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and say that I know. Either way, I don't think that anyone really knows besides the two people that were involved. involved. Mm -hmm. In the Oxygen article, specifically, it says, The marital contract was actually a slave-master agreement. It depicted Mr. Simcoe would be the father and Miss Simcoe would be the daughter. They were very specific in their rituals and how each one behaved. Knowing that she had been a victim when she was a child, we were concerned that maybe she was being forced to do these things she didn't want to do. 
and that was the detective at the time saying that to Oxygen. Police wondered if Julian was being victimized all over again, but in November 2013, she finally came clean. She said, I was a willing participant in everything that went on in the bedroom. She said during police questioning, she denied being sexually abused by her husband, and it was only role-playing. And I would also like to mention that Julene had zero priors with law enforcement, and she didn't have any issues on record with anyone. So what comes later in this episode will be shocking. But Jeremy Simcoe, he was a man's man. According to interviews with his friends, he was known to have a temper, and if challenged, he was not afraid to fight. He had some issues with people involving fights, but neither one of them spent any kind of prison time. Like, Mm -hmm. it was just one of those things, like, it could have been, like, a drunken bar fight, or someone mouthed off to him, and he was like, no, you're not going to talk to me like that. Like, it's, he wasn't a bad dude. So, after years with no breaks in this case, Jeremy's friends started talking, and it seemed that Julene was very quick to move on after the murder. I don't know what that means exactly, if she started dating someone else, or if she moved out of town. I don't know what that means. But what does kind of seem a little interesting to me was that she was back at the house the very next day after the murder. And so if my significant other was murdered, I probably wouldn't want to be in in that same house for a very long time. And if I could find someone that moved my stuff out for me, I probably would do that versus go back at all. Yeah, and especially because I've heard multiple people, when they've had people break into their homes, they feel so violated and that... They can't ever feel, they don't feel comfortable wherever the situation is for a very long time. So if that were, if her story was true, she would have more than likely felt that and not have even wanted to step foot in her house. That's exactly what I was thinking. And that's kind of where Jeremy's friends and family said too, because she wasn't concerned with finding justice for Jeremy or looking for his killer, which if you are not concerned with that, then maybe it's because you already know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very suspicious. But in December 2014, the police charged Julene Simcoe with her husband's murder after five years. So on December 19, 2014, Julene was indicted for aggravated murder, murder, felonious assault, tampering with evidence, and the prosecution argued that a stressful slave-master relationship coupled with Julene's childhood abuse caused her to snap. Which, wow, if that is their argument... It's been discredited because she's already came to the public and said that it was consensual. The defense's argument was poor. The investigation by the police department was also poor. And because of this, the court could not come to a conclusion beyond a reasonable doubt that she committed this murder. It kind of went into limbo for a few years. And then eventually they had, they waived the right to a trial. So in 2017 is when she was finally convicted. So she was charged in 2014, and then she was convicted in October of 2017. And she waived the right to a jury trial. So the Lorain County Common Police Court Judge Mark Bolesky decided her guilt or innocence. And she never called any witnesses to her stand. Um, and she decided she declined to testify on her own in her own defense. I did watch some of the clips though from people speaking, and her mom did ask for the lightest sentencing possible because she was like, "Listen, my daughter didn't have any issues with anyone else. It was just this freak thing, kind of like her mom was bawling her eyes out trying to get her the lightest sentence, which I think at that moment." people kind of realized if your mom is trying to get you the latest sentence, then maybe it's because 
she knows that you did do it. Mm -hmm. And there was so much evidence to prove that it couldn't have really been anyone else. Yeah. I hope she's miserable in prison every day and every night. It's been a lot of time, but we finally got justice for Jeremy. Simcoe's father-in-law, Robert Simcoe, said following the sentencing. Robert Simcoe told reporters that he believed if Simcoe was unhappy in her marriage, she should have just left rather than committing murder. I agree with that. Oh, yeah. This is what they think that could have been the issue because she is a willing participant in the agreement that they had as a couple, which at the end of the day, in this case, it did become an issue and they needed to find reasons, but between a couple, especially a married man and woman or man and man or woman and woman or whatever your sexual preference is, it should be private. Mm -hmm. And if you, the thing is no one knew about it. So that to me means that it was something that they wanted to keep to themselves. The only reason they found out about it was because the police investigators found the clips and photos that they would take of each other. So they don't think that that was her reasoning behind committing this murder. What they actually think it is, is money. At the time, they were trying to expand the farm. They had recently applied for a loan to get some more land. I couldn't find directly if it was an agricultural-based farm or if it was maybe a livestock-based farm. They wanted more land. So they lived on Northridge Road, and the days leading up to his murder, the bank had recently denied their loan to purchase the property behind their home. The prosecutor said the loan denial may have set Simcoe off, and in the early morning hours of November 18th, she crept into the bedroom and fired that fatal shot. I feel like stressors can do a lot of things, so if he had any kind of life insurance or anything like Mm -hmm. that, maybe she wanted to do that. You know, me and my fiancé actually watch Unsolved Mysteries, and it's just a quick, like, 30-minute TV show or whatever. And I swear to you, one of the two reasons people kill, one, money, and two, they fell in love with someone else or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I swear almost every episode is someone killed their significant other for life insurance. Yep. I swear that's, like, the number one thing. I could not find if that was, if he did have life insurance, it could have been one of those things where she was like, I can start over somewhere else. If, if that was her true motive, but like I said, she's never come to her own defense. Mm-hmm. She's never spoke out about it. She doesn't say anything. And I know she's tried to um, appeal the sentencing decision, but she waived the right to a trial in the first place because she didn't want to go through that, I'm guessing. So then she left it up to the judge. Simcoe, who had taken a class on forensic science at a local community college and also watched a ton of true crime TV shows, would most likely have an idea on how to process and clean a crime scene. Mm -hmm. And so a gunshot residue expert testified in court that he had found residue on the pillow, but that the science behind gunshot residue testing is not common knowledge. However, under these circumstances, she more than likely would know how to go about cleaning Mm -hmm. that kind of residue. Well, and they said that they couldn't find Jeremy's um, DNA on the gun that was used, and they said that the gun would have been so close to his head within inches, so his the blood spatter or something would have been on it, but the gun was clean. And then other experts have testified saying, like, it's not abnormal. Like, sometimes that's just how it works. It's very... It's up in the air. That was... washy Yeah. Yeah. They said... they, They brought that person in to talk about it in court. However, that wasn't their main 
reasoning. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the reasoning was is because they were so hyper focused with security. There was not really a way someone could have gotten into that house, and if they did, Mr. Simcoe would have woken up. They would have been on camera. Which is why I kind of have been wondering what happened with the security footage to begin with because she said the next day she was robbed again and it was stolen. Why wasn't that checked and taken the first day? Because if you would have seen that the first day, you would have known that no one walked up to that house. And then that would have kind of been like the hook, line, and sinker and she would have been in prison from the beginning, Mm -hmm. not years later. Well, that would have proven her story true or false immediately. Yeah. And so like wait for it they when they took her to the hospital because she was hysterical and they needed to just make sure she was okay everything was fine the nurse that did her examination she heard mrs simcoe have an outburst which ended up part of the reason why they decided if she was guilty or not she said i i thought i heard julian simcoe say i shot my i just shot my husband and then the nurse was startled and said what did you say and because she wasn't expecting the nurse to have heard her she didn't think she was in the room she maybe maybe the curtain was pulled who knows but she said oh somebody shot my husband and the nurse was like she's been very adamant to this day she heard her say i shot my husband hmm Yeah, and that was four days after the incident happened, the nurse came to the police and told them what she heard. I wonder why she waited four days. Well, I don't know if that, I don't know, maybe she questioned herself, or maybe sometimes one of those things where it's like, or maybe the police came back and questioned her. Yeah. It's never been very clear, but I know it's a four-day window where she went and she said, this is what I heard, I know I heard this, it freaked me out, so I double-checked, and then it was changed we would also like to say at this point we told you that our giveaway winner brought us this case well we actually have we have an interview with the giveaway winner which is alicia who is related to this case can you tell us what your name is and how you are connected to this case my name is alicia and i am connected to this case through the convicted side So it is kind of through marriage that I'm related to Jolene. Okay. And can you tell me the story that Jolene used to say to everyone when this first happened? So this had happened back when I was in like eighth grade. So the details may be a little bit foggy, but what I was told back then was that they were originally sleeping in their bedroom on the second floor of the house. And that has three floors to my knowledge. I had only been there once. So they were sleeping on the second floor and Jeremy was apparently snoring. So she had went up onto like a bedroom on the third floor to go sleep. And what she had heard, I don't know if it was like someone breaking in or like shots fired. I think it was more of someone had broken in. So she heard a commotion. So she had grabbed one of their like firearms off like a side table and had went to go investigate and fired some warning shots to scare them away Mm -hmm. and that's when she had found jeremy dead is what the story had said and did Um, any family did anyone ever think it was kind of weird because i actually doing research on the case they said that she never really tried to find his murderer or try to get justice for him did anyone ever comment on that or did it just kind of is it something that no one really talked about? 
From what I know, it didn't really seem like any what anyone would really kind of talk about. An unspoken topic. And, <laughs> and even to this day, is it still one of those things that you just don't ever talk about? It seems like that. I mean, yeah, we'll talk about like how she's doing okay. during her sentence and stuff like that and get some updates. But other than that, we don't really kind of talk about the case itself. Okay. And... So, in your opinion, do you believe or not believe she did it? In my opinion, I believe that she did. Based off of what I have been told and kind of the details just kind of seem to lead that way. Okay. With um, the supposedly not having any signs of breaking and entering. And then they have some very protective dogs on their property that would even bark at children. So to say that it was a very quiet night and not have them going off with an intruder kind of leads me to believe it was an inside job. Well, and that's what I was thinking too, because when I looked up the case, they were very security conscious. And then to find out that they had dogs as well. Then also they had security footage I don't want to go in with my like mind going one way because that's the one way that everyone's talking about now. I wanted to go into it like unbiased. And so that was just one of those things where I was like, as I w started to research a little bit more, I was like, I can't really lean in the favor of Julene because I feel like there's too much going against her and things aren't lining up when she talks about them either. Yeah. Do you think that the robbery that happened the following day was a setup that she did to get rid of the f security footage? Or do you think that was something that was genuine and it was just... I feel like that's tough to say, but I, it does lean in her favor. That part does? You know, yeah, of destroying any evidence, breaking into the gun safe and stuff like that. It, it does lean into the favor of oh, hey, it may not have been actually her. I, I've i thought that too. I was like, I kind of feel like maybe it would have been like, oh, that's perfect. If something else happened, then maybe there truly was someone else there that night and it just, it it's not lining up perfectly, but no bad situation usually does. But then you also have to think of it on the other side. Another break-in would potentially destroy more evidence and then she could get rid of what maybe the cops didn't know about at the time because Vermilion's super tiny, so I don't think that they're that equipped for something like that going on just randomly. Oh, yeah. And the fact that um, they had to take her to the hospital due to being hysterical at that time, it's a little fuzzy as to what it could have actually... Could it have been planned? Could it have just been something that had just happened and the scene wasn't secured like it could have been due to the police department being very small you've been around them a few times when you were younger did they ever seem like anything was off or were they you know trying i know they were in their mid-30s were they trying to have a baby or anything like that or do you know any of that information when i was younger we would always spend kind of like summers at my uncle's house just because he has a pool and stuff like that and they would have like pool parties and have everyone over so they would be there too and we would all just have a good time they never seemed like anything was off or anything like that they would laugh to have good conversation and be really good towards each other to everyone else mm -hmm. and personally i wasn't aware if they were trying to have kids or not at that time 
with everything that went on where their sex life was super exposed to the media, did that have like a super negative, like obviously it would have a negative effect on your family in general. What, what was your take on that? Do you feel like any of that was kind of like over-exaggerated or do you think that maybe it was more of the slave master situation? And do you think that Julene was the one that was in charge of that or do you think it was more so Jeremy? Honestly, if they did have that mutual agreement, then it was both, both, both parties were accepting see as to where they uh, one party would be more kind of submissive to do that agreement due to the background. See, that's what I was thinking, too, because I feel like a lot of people want to paint Jeremy in a negative light. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, maybe that was something that it was her idea or like no one really knows. And that's one of the things that sticks out in the case. And that's what made it so sensational, especially for 2009. No one was talking about BDSM or slave master agreements, at least to my knowledge, because... I feel like that was super taboo at the time and it's more so now getting out there where people are like able to talk about it and not feel like weird. Yeah, and I feel like with family, they could be like shocked at the thought, but I feel like anything can happen behind closed doors and everyone has their own sex life, uh, sex life and different things that appeal to them and stuff like that. So everyone's different and I know certainly things like bdsm have been going on for a while now and it's just people are more hush hush about it versus others are more oh hey i'm into this and stuff like that i i agree with that and that's one thing that we did cover when we recorded the episode where we talked about it was like at the end of the day like what happens between a married couple or even non-married couples it, it doesn't matter that's their that's their choice but I feel like the media took that and like ran and like overdid it. And it was one of those things where it's like, now you look at this case, that's the first thing that pops up. And I feel like that did both of them a serious injustice. And it kind of took away the actual things behind the case. Because from yeah. everything that I've kind of learned, it was more of a financial thing as to why some of the things happened versus a BDSM sexual relationship and she was like trying to escape it like some people are trying to say I'm like first of all no like do your research really quick I remember you mentioning you were in forensic science correct I had went to school for it currently not in the field but yes (laughs) was this something that kind of sparked your interest in that yeah definitely um so when it had happened Some of the details were brought to light of, you know, the scene was broken into and stuff like that. It got into my mind, like, okay, well, that could be, like, tampering with evidence and stuff like that. And I kind of went into, like, a rabbit hole. I'm like, okay, what kind of people do this job? Like, analyze evidence and stuff like that. But it's, for me, it was never... I want to be like a detective or in the police force side of it. I I always loved science. It was my favorite class, so I wanted to go into more sciencey side of it. So in high school, I had taken a forensic science course with criminal justice as well, and I fell in love with it. And it was always so interesting to see what like the smallest things can produce. That's what eventually me ended up going to college for. I guess it was. A weird inspiration to <laughs> go to school for it 
I know it's very unfortunate. It's a very interesting field. It, it sucks that with the boom of all the crime TV shows and stuff like that, a lot of people had gotten interested in it, and there isn't necessarily enough jobs for all the people that went into the field. So mm-hmm. that's unfortunate. It, it is weird knowing them and being related. It happens, unfortunately. And I just kind of distance myself from it. I I accept it, but I distance myself from it. I feel like that's probably the grand consensus. Your uncle and your aunt, it's one of those things where it's like, they're so much closer to it than you are. Like, you can't have a normal conversation with someone. How, How is she? Like, is she doing good? Like, I feel like almost nobody wants to even broach that question with her because it's going to bring up all those memories again and then when they do it's like does she feel weird saying the answers are asked no one knows what to say it's like constantly on eggshells no matter what so when you're at family functions let's talk about anything else i feel like that's probably how it would go yeah because when a couple years back her grandmother julian's grandmother had passed and at the funeral they had her at the prison they did like a video call with her so she was able to video in to the funeral and watch the services so it was just interesting to like see her and how she is and i know they have spoken on her doing one of the dog programs at the prison she was doing one of those training mm-hmm. I did have a comment aside from all that. It's just just weird to see her and hear them talk about her. What was your side comment? The side comment that I had, because I can't remember exactly when she was convicted, how many years after the fact. It was like five, I think. Oh, it (laughs) it happened in 2009. They first tried to convict her in 2014, but they didn't have enough evidence. And then finally the judge did it in like 2017, I think. Okay. I think those, that was the time frame. I'm not 100% at this time because I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but I'm pretty sure. What bothers me and what also kind of leads me to believe that it was kind of her is the fact that after the incident, yeah, she kind of... Everyone's different. Everyone grieves differently. I'll put that out there. But, like, she had gained all this weight. She had... I believe it was like a gastric bypass surgery and so she had like lost all the weight but she's out here doing all these different events and stuff like that with our other cousins and going on trips and doing things like this which kind of leads me to believe she's free now you know of the situation right so it just it's these weird things that kind of lead me to also kind of believe that she she did do it You don't know until, like, after the fact. At the time, it might have been looking like, you know, she's just, like, trying to start over to distract herself. And then hindsight's 20-20. You're looking at it, and they're like, okay, she looks like she's, like, free. Like, she can do whatever she wants. I feel like when you're single, after you've been in a relationship for a while, and you go through that first pitfall where you're, like, super sad, and then you're like, wait a minute, I'm free, I can do whatever I want. I wonder if she did that, and then it was like, but she created that. Like, she could have still walked away. She could have gotten a divorce. She could have done anything other than that. Yeah. You always look back and you're like, well, something didn't add up at the time. And now it does. And it's just as weird. Yeah.
We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to join us on our new release days each week on Wednesdays at 5 a.m. As always, follow us on social media at Crime Connection Pod on Instagram and Crime Connections on Facebook. Thank you. Thanks, guys.